You guys ready? Ready. Let's, go. ready. Let's do it. All right, cool. All right, everyone, welcome back to the, the show, uh, Art Provoked, uh, and today we have one of my favorite collaborators. Uh, we, haven't, we haven't worked together in a while now because we were in different parts of the country, um, but back in the day we worked on two features together that Brandon uh, uh, scored for me. Uh, uh, oh, what, the famous trailer? Oh my god, that oh, was like yeah. 15 years ago. Uh, and then uh, the movie that never happened, which is a bummer. But uh, And then, uh, yeah, and then uh, we've, we've worked on some other things, some commercials and stuff like that. Um, and so, but yeah, welcome, Brandon. Uh, Brandon welcome. Verrett of the Mad Composer Lab. Thanks for joining Yo, us. Yo, what's happening? Thank you. <laughs> it's an absolute pleasure, so... Uh, but, but yeah, before been... we get started, for anybody that doesn't know you, um, everybody kind of knows, hopefully, if they've listened to previous episodes, knows Kenny and I at this point. But uh, uh, yeah, give us a little snapshot of who is Brandon? Who is the Mad Composer Lab? Oh, you know, um, well, I'm a composer and musician. I do primarily music for film and television. And when I'm not doing that, I do a bunch of uh, field research and sound ecology, which is basically studying sound and how humans interact with the environment mediated through sound. So that's a lot of what I get up to these days. But back in the day, I did a lot of music for orchestra, conducted a lot of music, used to teach nice. a lot of music, that sort of stuff. So I've been around for a hot second. That's awesome. Yeah, I... I... <laughs> when we were talking before, like, like Kenny and I have known, like I knew Kenny when I knew you, uh, like when we first met, like, but we've never met before. Like, this, like you've never met Kenny before, which no. is, seems wild. Right, yeah. It's just like two different sides of things. Kenny's a cinematographer. We were working on other things. You're usually at the end of a project. So it's like, you don't, right. you're just, you you come in to kind of pull it together. But, uh, and who knows for all we know, we have worked on a project together and you did music for it. And I just don't know. That's real. <laughs> this industry's small, my friend. Yeah. Um, so one of the things we were kind of talking about before, right before we recorded, was we were just talking about kind of like our different art forms and stuff. And so, uh, mm -hmm. if, if you could just explain a little bit more about like that, that kind of the sound ecology thing. So, because if nobody's like followed you on Instagram, or hopefully they'll follow you on social after this and see all the cool stuff you're doing. But kind of what is that? What is sound ecology? Okay, so sound ecology is essentially like what I was explaining a, a second ago. We've got all these sounds of the environment that come at us. And, you know, from the timbre or the color or the intensity of that sound, it gives us clues about what's happening in the environment. And so when I go out and I'm listening and I take a field recorder, I'm, what I'm listening for are those things I'm listening for different frequencies and how they're relating to the other sounds that are around. And if there's a lot of clashing between frequencies, for instance, like if you're next to a, a freeway and, but you're also next to a forest, suddenly you hear this transition space where you're like, okay, I hear cars passing, I hear cars passing. And then you get far enough in and you're like, wait a minute, is that the wind or are those still cars passing? Right. Oh, interesting. Cool. But because of the subtlety in the timbre and the way that our ears work and receive sound, we can tell instantly. But the other side of that is that people don't realize that their whole body is involved in translating those sounds and giving us information about the environment around us. And so that's essentially what sound ecology is. is we, you, you study the sounds, you listen to them, you find out which frequencies are taking up a lot of bandwidth 
Um, and that can give, like I said, give us information about the health of the environment. If it's really dissonant and sounds are clashing, you know, then we call that a lo-fi or low fidelity environment. And so that means we either have some disease or there's a lot of human activity usually causes a lot of this. Um, but if we have a more balanced uh, environment or sound ecology, then we could consider that a, a, a hi-fi situation. And these are uh, terms that uh, Bernie Krause, a composer and field recorder, sound ecologist, uh, he and R. Murray Schaefer is a Canadian composer. They were pioneers in this. And there's a whole you know, world organization of people that do this research. Oh, wow. And so we categorize and we collect all these sounds. Some of them you can't hear. But uh, I think it was Bernie, he, he's got a record of different cities for over a 60 year period that he's recorded. So you can see like what that sound ecology was when he first started versus where it is now. And the decibel level went from like something kind of like this. And then the more populated, the more people it got, it just went higher and higher and higher and higher. And so oh, you can see, yeah. So you can see this sound ecology evolve. And then as people got louder, our voices got louder. So, and I noticed this, doing a couple of experiments out in Joshua Tree for a piece that I was writing. And I had the recorder out and I looked back at the sound on the spectrogram. And a spectrogram is just like a visualizer that helps us to see frequency and the bandwidth that it takes up. Okay. Right? So I'm recording and you can hear the crows pass by or the ravens, I'm sorry. And then you can hear coyotes in the distance or you can hear quail. And you can see where in the spectrum, in the frequency spectrum, they are. So, again, in a balanced environment, none of them are going to clash and compete, especially with bird song. When birds sing, all the frequencies happen in a certain frequency range, not, so it doesn't mask another species. And oh, so wow. that's why you can have a giant chorus of birds, and if the you know this sparrow over here needs to talk to this sparrow over here, but there's a bunch of finches in the middle, right? They're all at their own little radio frequency, if you will. And so Whoa, that's nothing cool. gets in the way. But if we've got cars passing by, if we've got flutes or any other things happening at the same frequency, then it kind of cancels out and it gets cluttered. So what's cool about that is that we see this in the environment, but orchestras and instruments work the same way. If we're going to balance them, we have to actually make room for them. So if I'm working with in a traditional orchestral setting, my bass sets up the fundamental. So all everything that happens over the top of that is based off of the the bass, essentially, right? And so if I if I'm aware of this as a composer, I can set up any harmonic context that I want on the top of that bass, and it'll work, right? So because all I'm doing is moving around the tension and the release of those sounds. But if I uh, say I'm going to write a line for the trumpet, and that's the melody. The trumpet, if I put that on the same, that same thing on the flute in the same register, you're not going to hear that flute because of the, it's happening at the same time and the trumpet has more volume, right? Huh. And so it's just going to mask the sound. Now, if I take that same line and I move it up an octave and make room for the flute, I'm going to hear the trumpet and I'm going to hear a shiny shimmer of flute on the top. So now I've created, it's like basically taking the color yellow the yeah, I was thinking was like color, color theory, right? Like yeah. you're just yeah. you're making so your eye can actually take all the information in. So the same That's thing right. for the ear a little bit. 
Yes. Okay. So yeah, exactly. So check this out. <laughs> We've got the ear involved in this business, but we know sound waves are mechanical waves and you can actually feel them as well. Yeah. So if your hearing isn't quite working, then we can create more bass frequencies with the basses and the instruments that have deeper and lower frequencies because the bigger the frequency, the more your body's going to pick it up. That's right. Cool. And so that's why, you know, people like, oh, I like the bass. I love the rhythm. I love all this stuff. It's because you can actually. You can feel it. Physically feel it, you know. Yeah. And just like with, you know, with the ear, the faster the frequency, the higher they are. And it can eventually end up in ultrasound, which is a past where we could actually hear as humans. Hmm. But we're still being affected by it. Right. And so that's the whole thing with sound ecology. It's like I'm listening. If I'm listening, for instance, uh, to bees. People always freak out when they see a bee. Oh, my goodness, it's a bee, it's a bee, it's a bee, it's going to sting me. Interestingly, if you listen closely to the bee, there's a very calm and chill sort of vibe that they have in the buzz. The second that changes, you know instantly because it becomes faster and it becomes more uh, intense in the way that it vibrates. So that then is when you should become aware and alert as to whether or not you should be running or just chilling. And I figured this out because I was in, in Joshua Tree doing a residency, again, for some research for a piece. I was laying on the, the picnic table and it was the middle of the day, 100 degrees, no water, but the bees are looking for it. And I have my water jug sitting out and they just keep coming at me. And I'm like, why, why? I just want to take a nap. <laughs> and it finally occurred to me, it was like, yo, dude, chill. They just want the water. And not only was I able to visually see that that's what they wanted and that's what they were looking for, but I could hear it. And they never got agitated. But just across the way, there was a, like a, something, I think it may have been a snake or whatever that had gone in there and agitated the bees that were in there. And you could just hear them buzzing about. And that you could tell immediately from the way that they were buzzing around that there was drama. Wow. So these are the things, you know, our ears can pick this up. Our bodies can pick this up. And when we talk about sound ecology, this is what we're talking about, the sound of the environment that's around us. And so just as I was talking, like, about the fact that we can tell the health of the environment up in Alaska, you, there's a lot of field recordists, a lot of uh, wildlife biologists that are out doing field recordings, and they'll drop a hydrophone down into the river or the stream. And they I've seen those listen. before. Yeah. Yeah. They'll listen to what's happening and without even using a thermometer or even their feel, they can hear the difference in the temperature of the water, right? Wow. It's kind of like yeah. when you pour a glass of hot water and you pour a glass of cold water. It sounds different, one, yeah. It's very different, right? Yeah. And so they was like, okay, this water is warmer, so something's going on upstream, so we got to figure that out, right? Um, or So these are these are things that we've been using for millennia. There's a, a tribe, or a, tri a tribe, it's an indigenous people down in Australia, right? The Aborigines. Mm -hmm. They've been using this forever, you know, and they have this philosophy of, you know, asking permission before interacting with Mother Nature and the elements, right? But also this moment of being still and listening and being aware of the sounds around us, again, Present. gives us all these clues about how to interact with that space in a way that is a lot more harmonious and less destructive. That's really yeah, cool. Yeah, I think that's interesting, like, 
when I start out with students like for photography or film, when we first start, a lot of it is just getting them to, to be like aware of their environment. Like, cause that's yep. like, as artists, we're always drawing off of what's around us. Like we're, so with you, you're talking about, you're drawing in literally the sounds. Like I'm hearing how things are changing so I can use those. And now I can create these things I can go back to, to make another sound or, you know, when a project comes up, it's like, Oh, I heard that in this one place. It's like, we have to have these things as artists that we can draw on. And so one of the first projects I do with my students is I give them a notebook and we just take a walk around the neighborhood and they have to write down everything they hear and see. They don't have a camera. They don't get a camera. And it's like, without fail, they'll turn and I go, what changed? And they're like, it's so loud on this street. And then we'll turn again and like, what changed? Like, oh, there's a weird echo. And you're like, yeah, it's a 20 foot building next to us. And it's like, and I was, then we get back and go, when was the last time you paid attention to everything that was around you? And they're like, we've never done that before. (laughs) And so it's, it's cool. And so that was one of the reasons I wanted to to bring you on, Brandon, is because like one of the very first conversations I think we had uh, and we talked about was just like like what are kind of like why we were doing what we were doing, like what we hope to do it. And I remember with the horror, the first movie we worked on, you were like, well, I don't think I remember you, you called me for one of them when we were doing like a spotting session. You're like, I don't think you need music here. And I was like, you're the perfect person for this project (laughs) because I don't want any music here. And you're like, why would I muddy it up? It's like, you're already doing something here. I don't need to to mess that up. And so one of the things that I just loved about the way you approached art was just like, it's all about enhancing. It's all about adding layers and textures and, uh, and, and the way that you kind of create. And, you know, it's like, it doesn't need to be the shiniest, fanciest instrument or something, as long as it gets the emotion across, like, that, and so right. that's and true. that and that's what Kenny and I've kind of been talking about in this is just we there's so many people I think wrapped up in the technology of it that they don't even start because it becomes overwhelming. Um yes. do you ever notice that like when you're either teaching or you're working with a new artist or any of that kind of stuff? Oh my okay. First of all, <laughs> I'll take that that was a good question the way you react. It was, I love it. Yeah, it was a great question. So the, the but uh, to just uh the the whole taking a walk oh, so i yeah there's this as a beautiful exercise people always ask me what you know what gear should i get to start composing <laughs> and doing all this stuff you know and i'm like you're way too far ahead uh, my friend you can't be getting that yet i'm going to show you the simplest gear <laughs> <laughs> for those who can't see cuz we're on a podcast just a pen and a paper folks yeah yeah he just pulled so, up pen and paper like Kenny said yeah, yeah. <laughs> And, and um, I should probably have a pencil so that I can actually erase. Yeah, um, there you go. But this taking a walk situation, right, and clearing your space and just getting setting the intention. I'm all I'm such a big believer in that because whatever the for me and you know I think I posed a question on Instagram the other day about like what is art. Yeah, you yeah. Know? That's why I was like, all and, right, Brandon, I you got it. Yeah, yeah, Let's right. do it. <laughs> And, you know, we, I've had so many classes on this, so many discussions about this situation, but essentially, you know, for me, it's about that authentic self-expression, right? That realness that as, you know, who's it? Cesar Cruz has said it should disturb the comforted and comfort the disturbed, you know? Oh yeah. I've heard that quote. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I say the paper and pencil because so many people get caught up in the technology, as you mentioned, and there's so many bells and whistles. Some some of the stuff is gamified, so all you have to do is push a button, right? Yeah. 
But if you want to explore any further than that, it doesn't really give you the tools to do that. Yeah. But at its essence, at least for me, um, art is all about the process, which people kind of dismiss that as craft. You know, it's like there's craft and then there's art. And the art is the result of you, like, knowing your craft. And, like, well, for me, the art is in the process of doing it. It's in the craft. The journey, right? not the destination. Because, exactly. Because by the time by the time I'm showing you what it is and it's done, I, I'm not interested in what you have to say about it. Right. I don't care because it is now its own thing. You know, it's it's done for me what I've needed to do. And the only reason I'm sharing is because at the end of that, right, the perception and it's like it's like sound for me you know it's like there's three parts it doesn't exist if they're all three parts don't don't aren't there there's the source there's the medium through which that those sound waves travel and then there's something there to perceive it right all three parts of the triangle otherwise it's, it just doesn't happen but the, that that doesn't mean that i have to be invested with my feelings in it if i've done my job as the person who's creating it then my my feelings have been expressed they've been they, they're doing whatever they need to be doing. Yeah. And some so of that happens like, okay, subconsciously cool. too, you know? Exactly. And so it's more or less, it's like, it's now, okay, if anyone else can bear witness or benefit from me sharing this expression, then by all means, let's do that, you know? And that's always been first and foremost for me. And so if I come back down to his basic elements, you know, a lot of the stuff that we, in the ways that we express ourselves have very ancient and have very fundamental origins, okay? And all, most of it is all from our our Earth and our universe. It's in the numbers and it's in the science, right? Mm -hmm. There is the proof if you need it. Ultimately, it's about what's here. And so then how do you get that from your heart and within your gut out into the world? And for every person that attempts it, there's a way to do it. But I will say, start with the least <laughs> amount of stuff that you can, right? Yes. Now, I'm going to contradict that with this. <laughs> so there's there this composer by the name of Paul Hindemith. And he wrote some groovy, groovy music. Some of it, most people be like, I don't know about that Hindemith person. But as a composer, I thought it was really neat that he mentioned in his, uh, in a number of books, but he has this book on two-part writing, where if you're going to write one melodic line or and then have a counter melody, you should give yourself as many guidelines and as many rules or parameters as possible and work with in only those. Mm. And... Well, I think that's like how we kind of got together. I mean, like the horror, that's how that became that movie was like we had like that's the only way we could create it. It's like these are this is the box that has to go in. What can we do? So I think parameters are good. Yeah, I agree. I like having constraints no. with creating art. I'm OK, I am 100 percent with you. But I feel <laughs> like I feel like, though, I feel like that's a situation where um do you feel like that comes with experience and maturity or do you think you always had that? Ooh, that's a good question. I definitely think it comes with experience and maturity because like, you know, <laughs> like on sets example, it's like one day I could be on a commercial that has a million plus budget 
and I have all the resources available. You know, I have a truck full of lights and I probably will not use half of it, you know, especially right. if it's a situation where like you just order a lump situation that's loaded instead of going item by item. And so then there's that route. And then the next I could be on a music video that has no budget and I find myself again, I'm invested in all the projects, but I find that I'm more, I feel more rewarded after the projects that have constraints because it's like, wow, yes. look, look what we did with, instead of this light, it was a Home Depot thing, or it was just a light bulb, yes. or it was actually, you know, observing and shooting something at the right time of day. And there was no lighting or whatever that constraint brings. I think it makes your mind think in a different way that produces results where if you had everything and you had all the tools you wouldn't get well yeah i mean like you're yeah the maturity is definitely there i think also like you were saying just the the experience like after you've worked on those big things which we all have worked on bigger things and then you just realize oh they had everything they needed and but there was no like i'll go back to you pointing at your heart there was just no heart in it because it was like there was so much stuff that everybody was just like playing with toys at that point. And it's like, yeah, we got some really cool stuff out of it, but it's like, nobody really got that in like, we didn't get that like emotion. We didn't get like that depth to it. So I think like the famous thing, that trailer we did 15 years ago, Brandon, that you did the music for, I I made an 1800s boxing set in a garage with like $75 worth of stuff and makeup. And it's like, you know, I've seen it. It looks legit. Yeah. And, and yeah, Yeah. can you seen it? Like, and, and you're like, so I think that, but it's also, you have to decide, like, I mean, I've thought about this a lot of time. It is like the way that I make movies, if I would have been given $500,000 for the first one, would I be making movies the way I'm making? Uh, no, probably not. Yeah, uh, probably not. But, but I'm glad that it did happen that because I realized, oh, what I really like is like these kind of like emotional things, which you just can't do when you get to those levels sometimes because there's too many things happening simultaneously. So that's right. Deciding what you're trying to say and then, but that's going to make the, you into the artist that you're going to become. That's right. And so it's like, I'm glad it happened earlier. Like now I can look back and glad that it happened at 22 years old. Now that I have the wisdom at my late (laughs) thirties, but you know, it's (laughs) like, it's yeah. When it was happening, I was like, this sucks. I want to make a million dollar movie. I want to do this. But Mm -hmm. little did I know, and Kenny, you could say the same thing. It's like when you get that budget, you're still making it for basically nothing because that money's going somewhere else. Right. It's allocated. It's not going to you. Well, one thing I also find interesting, which you touched on, Brandon, was like the aspect whether you do art in a collaborative setting like film or you create art like drawing by yourself. What I do think is interesting, the journey is so important because in terms of like, say, filmmaking – where it's a collaborative medium, you know, Mm -hmm. when everyone's invested and there's also like, it it goes down to not just passionate about the project, but also like when friendships are created or are already there and that shows on the screen. The audience member doesn't necessarily register that that's what's happening. But in my opinion, I've seen differences where a project where the environment alone was just so positive and so comforting and so safe and everyone was so passionate and giving it their all that project or film or whatever was fantastic. And that shows in the art. Whereas then I've also been on sets where, you know, people are arguing or you may not agree with someone or, you know, someone's being an asshole Right, you know, right. then now you have certain crew members because one person was a jerk that trickles down and people don't give, I don't want to say they're all, but there's, there's something that is 
missed from those bad experiences that doesn't put itself in the art. Uh, so yeah, the journey, you... yeah, it's, it's, it's so important. Well, I directed a short film last, last a little over a year ago. Um, and I, they got it cause they saw, uh, they saw little hand Brandon. Um, oh, and so, oh. and what, what these two girls that wrote me and was like, we have a short film. We'd like to talk to you about directing it. And it's like, we saw this and it just looks like your actors are so comfortable on set. So it does come through mm-hmm. and yeah. it's like, you know, but you have to make that environment. And can you make that environment when there's that much money and that much pressure? Yes, I think you can. Um, but definitely when people are there and everybody's invested and you have six, seven, eight people, 10 people, maybe it's like now it becomes like this kind of family where it's like, okay, we're all on board. We all know what we're making. We all know what the, like you said, the intention is like, we know what we hope people will get when they watch the movie. Like we already know that in our head. So we're working towards that end goal. It's like, this is the experience we want you to have in the end. Um, but I don't think a lot of artists think about like, what are you actually trying to say? Like, what are you actually okay. trying to talk about? That, that, so that's the thing, right? Okay. Because I'm down with I, the boundaries. I told you, Kenny, we had to get Brandon on the show. Uh, yeah. I love it. Because the passion like, is, is the jam yeah. right now. Oh, yeah. I, I, and let me know if I'm going too long. But essentially, no, 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 no. This, this, this is the realness. I cannot I, – I get a little in my head sometimes about this whole notion that there are no rules. Right. Because I know what people are saying. I know what the I know what the idea about it is like. You can create whatever is no rules. But from my observations and what we just talked about, the parameters are the rules. Those are the guidelines. Right. Right. Can you can you elaborate on what you mean by no rule? Because I'm thinking about like rules in a movie, and I and Kenny talked. We talked about this on our last feature. I was like, these are the things that can and can't happen in this universe. Um. And so, and it's like, if everybody needs to know what the reality of the story is, and it's like, so if there is something that just appears out of nowhere, if everybody believes that can happen in this world, then it's fine. Um, so is that, is that what you kind of mean? It's like, this is the reality we're creating? Or what do you mean by the, the rules? I'm going to take a guess. But, I think you mean technical rules. What you should do I or mean, what they teach you to do, like... I know some things. You've well, that too, that, that, that as well, and, you yes. know, it's like, you know. it's okay. It's like, okay. All right. Here's the situation. I let's, let's just pretend that I never wrote a, a, a film score. Right. And I go in and I write a film score and it's not the traditional score that people are right. But everybody's like, Oh my God, that's a great, that's a great score. Well, I wrote it because I didn't basically out of like my not knowing what it takes to write a film score. Oh, that's right. like the Citizen Kane kind of thing. Then is like, like, how did you do that? And he's like, well, ignorance is a hell of a tool. Like, that I just, part. Did, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. I didn't know what I couldn't do. That's right. Yeah. And, but with that, I think a lot of people say, you know, you don't, you don't. Uh, if if you know what the rules are, you're less likely to break them because you're operating oh, okay. in the, within those. I get parameters. what you're saying. Yeah. This is another and, way that I approach it with the education stuff. Is I don't talk about any of that until they stumble on it and then go, "What do you think?" Exactly. Because yeah. <laughs> my, my thing is, uh, uh, going back to the, the parameters and creating those, those guidelines, they can be anything and they can be negotiable, right? right. Mm-hmm. But where I, where I get the most of my information about how, uh, what informs the rest of how I craft whatever it is that I'm doing as far as expressing is directly from what I'm doing, right? So for instance, like I, I held a piece of paper earlier. It was Stravinsky who once said, 
the scariest thing about composing is the blank page. I mm. get it because what are you going to put on it, right? You can put anything, anything. Yeah, that's terrifying. My thing is, well, it's terrifying. But for yeah. me, I'm like, like yeah, where do you the start? Let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. For me, I'm like, let's do this shit because yeah. here's why. Here's why I get to set the parameters, and I have through experience have learned. Lower your expectations. Don't expect to create anything great. Oh, that's that's a good one. Yeah. If you're aiming like you think this is going to be the best thing, like you're never going to be able to get there. Yeah. Don't do that. No, you're, don't, you're... don't set yourself up for that. You know, it's like, and I like this is another metaphor that I use. It's like you see this beautiful butterfly, right? And you're like, oh my goodness, I want to catch that butterfly and hold it. And so you're like, you're just jumping and grasping at this butterfly and it's just floating around. And then you realize you're like, wait a minute, I probably need to get a net or something. And so you find a tool or you devise a tool to capture this butterfly. And you still might spend a bit of energy, but you might just capture this butterfly. But when you capture it, where are you going to put it? You should probably have some sort of container. And if you have a container, do you expect to keep this butterfly long term? Or do you know <laughs> full well that this butterfly is going to eventually die? Right? If you keep it in this set instead container, especially with no food and no way to be what free and express itself. This mm -hmm. is how I like in the art, the container that you get for your butterfly that you're chasing. The butterfly is the inspiration. It's just you're just running around. Let me grab this. Right. And finally, you figure out I need to devise a tool. How do you devise a tool? You probably should learn something. So here we go. We got this <laughs> blank sheet of paper, right? Yeah. We could put anything we want on it. Well, first of all, let's decide what the parameters are. First thing first, there are four sides. One, two, three, four. Those are the parameters if I'm operating in that, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is the reality. I can't go off this page where I'm riding Cannot on the table. Cannot go off this page, right? <laughs> yeah. If I go off of this page, I have to add two more pages. Mm. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now, if I add two more pages, that's it. No more pages after that. Right now, what was negotiable? I could have said, well, if I go past these boundaries, then I can't do that. Or if I go past them, I'm giving myself a little bit more room to grow. Right. Yeah. But right. that's all I get. So you're still creating these boundaries, you know, but you can still move them around as you need to. As, as like like clay, if you will. Mm. You make it. You, it's malleable. It's you're shaping it. But you it don't will eventually fall what, apart. Right. It, exactly. And so at, when, when it eventually falls apart, you go, you start again. You're like, well, what did I need? Oh, I was missing a structure and I was missing balance here and there. So the next thing for me is I draw a triangle. I mean, you hear me talk about this all the time. He's like, why would oh, you I've draw a triangle? I've seen all your triangles. I've seen you them. You feel yeah. me? Yeah, I okay. love them. <laughs> because there's so many kinds of triangles, but in the world of construction, right, that is the most stable shape. So Very if true. I want my musical art to be structurally sound, I'm going to start with a triangle. And I have these three, these, these things with the triangle, right? It's the inspiration, the process, and the form. So solve for one of them. Figure out two and solve for the other. So if I know what the inspiration is, is my melody is going to go, ba da dee da dee. Okay, cool. That's my melody. What am I going to do with that melody? I could repeat it, ba da dee da dee. And then I could go backwards, be da dee da da. That is my process. I do it once. I repeat it and then I do it backwards. All right. Then I can take that same thing and sequence it up. I'm still doing the process. Now, through this process, this music starts to unfold like a flower, which then becomes my form. 
And so then I set the parameters based on the process. And so now I don't even have to think about the inspiration anymore because I've created a trap or used a net to, to capture this inspiration. And I'm allowing that to then decide the form and I'm modifying the form as the piece unfolds. And all the while checking in with the spirit, right? Because that's what's guiding this whole thing in the first place. Why am I doing this, right? And even if I'm doing it for a film, well, what's the intent from what character's perspective is this being told? And yeah, this why is what I love, are they man. I, why I love making scores with you, Brandon. It's like <laughs> you know, just the philosophy and like, like who's important right now? Like whose song is this? Like, this is it's yeah. Like when you're in the score, like who's this music for? Like it's great. Yeah. It's for the film, but it's right. like who is it informing? Like what's informing the choices? Like I remember when you sent me a photo of like the gas mask that you had recorded through for the horror, and <laughs> yeah. I still have mine. It's up here in the clot Here I'm gonna grab. All it. Right. <laughs> well, that's, that's what I awesome. meant about breaking the rules. Technically, is they you know it yeah. could be as simple as oh. For film, you should use this camera because it's the best. Jerry's holding up a gas yes. mask for everyone that <laughs> is out there. But then, you know, what you're doing is you're saying, well, okay, well, what if I put a mic in this thing that's not a traditional tool? That's what I was right. curious when you said, like, you know, the rules aspect, if you were talking about creatively. But or that becomes the well, constraint, that, well, right? Well that's, that, well, that's the other thing, too, yeah. is because it's like the reason I come up with those, those sorts of parameters is because I was living in an apartment. People are crazy when you're creating a film score in an apartment setting. They're hearing the same thing. They're hearing this rumbling. They're hearing this same string thing. Like, yeah. <laughs> For hours, because you're like... I gotta get it just right. I gotta yeah, balance yeah. this, <laughs> tweak this, and move this over here. Right? Yeah. So, okay, how does one then, um, with the resources that you have available to you, create a set of parameters and work within those parameters? And I'm like, you know what? If I, I know if this microphone is in here, and it was a contact mic, so it goes in there, right? And then I had another regular like condenser mic. So not only are these masking and getting rid of other frequencies but now i was like wait a minute that's coming through a gas mask where was the prop from in the movie right, right? so it wasn't out of nowhere yeah right so that that's the, what i'm saying is like what uh, information do you already have available to you that you don't have to think about you don't have to decide those things you know um so, so what do you do though when somebody goes, "Oh yeah, but it like this doesn't sound that clean or this doesn't sound like we hear it all the time, you know? It's like, "Well, you're not shooting in 4K, so this looks like garbage." Or, you know, it's okay, like, we, okay. "Why would you shoot Word. it on that little camera? Why don't you shoot it on an 8K camera and make it look worse?" Right. You know what? I used to I used to, you know, cuz you this know, This is just we, like what your students to... probably say, I'm sure, Brandon, cuz that's what they say to me too. It's like <laughs> Well, they say that to me even people that that haven't really worked with me and they don't really know like my the realness with which I work in. Yeah, the philosophy you know, some, behind it yeah, all. Yeah, a lot of people will hear, you know, oh he's a film composer, he could write this stuff. And I'm like, but you if you come to me, you have to come to me for the specific shit that I do. <laughs> like Yeah, right, yeah, which is why I, I kept coming to you. <laughs> right, yeah, no, I feel you. I feel you because like, you know, I we've all done the, you know, you gotta write something like this sort of thing. Whatever. This is how you 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 learn where your parameters are. So I'm not knocking it. But um, what do I do when people say, well, this is not the thing? It's like, okay, well, what is it? That's the whole point. Who decided that? Did you like the sound? Oh, yeah, I like the sound. Well, then, fuck it. That's why, you, that's why we're using it. You know, sorry. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, all right. Go ahead. <laughs> but it's like, this is why we're using it. You know, 
if, and this is, I, I, I have gotten a lot of comments about this and I have definitely had to remind myself that you got to rein it in because when you're creating something as a product, as a commodity, right? It doesn't mean that you have to get rid of your artistic integrity. True. Yeah, that's a great transition. We, yeah. So like Kenny and I, I think on our first episode talked about this of like the, I mean, part of the reason we didn't talk about this before is like we wanted, well, for one, you're always fighting for the next job. And so like, if you put something up weird on the internet of like this experiment or something you're trying to work through of like, you know, trying to figure out like, how can I use this to do this? And it's like, well, it does. And then it looks like crap. And then everybody's like, well, I don't want to hire that cinematographer. Look at the shit he's putting out here. This looks like garbage. And you're like, ah, no, I'm working through something right now. And I need other people to see it. So do you feel like it's because you used to work full time in the industry like that all the time? Do you think it's more freeing? Do you think it's more difficult? Could, could, could you talk about like that process of that transition? I think that's a good way to transition. into that. Before we transitioned, I'm so sorry. Oh, yeah. I want to bring up, I think what's very interesting about what we just talked about that stuck out in my head is with the rules and the intention and, you know, the parameters is, and I'm relating this to my experience and, you know, my art form, which is cinematography. But I think what's fascinating is, again, like you said, you're making your choices, which end up being potential rules or parameters that you create, whether consciously or subconsciously, based off of you know, many factors. It could be the project itself, the characters, like you said, the tool, the gas mask, all these things. And then to kind of take us even further back, what really stuck out in my head is the first thing of all art forms is observing. Observing, whether that's that's with your eyes, listening, you know, it's, it's taking in life. And then with, you know, whoever collaboratively or yourself, you're then regurgitating that out in your own interpretation. But I think it's kind of fascinating because like, you know, you were, you go out into the, you know, the world and research sounds and how they work. And I sit around and stare at light all the time of how I can recreate it, you know? And then what's funny is no different than you're asking questions about, well, how does this, you know, serve the story or serve this character? It's the same with, you know, me shooting a film. It's like, okay, does this shot really represent what we're trying to do or what we're trying to tell? Or how does this serve said character? And I think it's just interesting to me because I don't know, in the grand scheme of things, like all of these art forms, whether it's painting, whether they're all tied to observing uh, Mm -hmm. and then asking questions. And I think, I don't know, it just, it was something that's pointed out in my mind. This whole conversation is observation and questions. Uh, and then yes. from there, yeah. you don't know, you know, what you'll create because you have to let the journey take you there. But um, I just, yeah, just an interesting thing that I noticed that kind of correlated with everything, you know. That's so real. I appreciate you bringing that up because I feel like that before anything, it's it's kind of like in my process, I call it exhausting all the creative possibilities. And that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm observing I'm seeing what is actually available to me, what is necessary, you know, and then, but more importantly than that, is it a fun journey? Am I having, you know, am I geeking out about, (laughs) you know, what's happening? What do we say, Kenny, of like starting this? We were just like, it's like, we want to have, like, we want to want this to be fun again. Yeah. It's just like, I mean, it's like you, you do it for so long and I mean, and it's like, uh, and then, yeah, it just like starts to suck the life out of it. Cause it's like a paint by numbers game. 
It's like, yeah. you know, like, can we try something different? Like, can we try something? Yeah. Uh, and I'm, I'm guilty of this. What I think is interesting too, is like, you know, because we're at least in the art forms that the three of us work in, we tend to, you know, make decisions uh, not only based off of crew members or whatever clients. Yeah. There's that side, but with just, let's just focus on the story. We make decisions off of the experience that tells the story best. And so to go back to the tech side, what I think is fascinating in all art forms is I think there's this perception in the world that like all art has to be pretty and perfect and this. And it's like, it does not. And I'm even guilty of, you know, criticizing like, you know, I'm, I like Jackson Pollock, but there are some times where it's like, I'm sure we've all said it looking at someone's art where it's like, Oh, anyone could just throw paint at a wall. It's like, no, it's different. It just because it may not be aesthetically pleasing to you or again, like the visuals aren't like it's grainy instead of sharp and pretty or, you know, it could be even just an ugly image, but if it's telling your story or helping tell the story or, you know, give you more information about that character, then it's successful. And I think that is something that has been not beat into our heads. It's, it's the opposite. Everyone, especially with cinematography, like Jerry said, like, subjectively you might like this gritty edgy you know <laughs> untechnical visual style and others go oh well that's not that pretty or you being your own worst critic say oh other people aren't going to hire me because of this well i hate to break it to everybody there's always going to be someone out there that loves what you do so you should just do it because there's billions of people on this Period. planet and not everyone's going to love it end. and so i don't know just interesting that it's like it's not about the tools that you use. Sure, those are important at times, and they they give different results. But it really is about the story you want to tell or the emotion you want to pull from looking at that painting. And everyone's going to have a different perception, and I think that's what's so beautiful about it. Well, that's probably what you learned too, Brandon, when you put that up. Like, what is art? Like, what was the consensus of that that post? What did Most you learn every, from it? You know, what I learned was that most every person that responded was an artist. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Interesting. That's the eye. <laughs> but I bet there wasn't two that there were, there was no two that were the same though, right? There were, And that's what I love about it because yeah. they were all essentially saying the same thing, but in their own way. So that's why I was saying like to each person who attempts to do it or does ex- express themselves, we have all these words and all these ways and all these, you know, art forms to do that. And so we really, in my very, very humble opinion, have no right to decide in any way what is art and what it isn't. True. You know, what's good art, what's good creativity, what's amazing, what's this, that, and the other, because as far as I'm concerned, and this is why, and this is a lot of why I say this, when I was coming up, right, learning music for the first time, my first experience in music my earliest memories of music was in the church, right? Mm-hmm. And these were, you know, all my relatives and people that I knew, my families, very small churches in, you know, Southern Louisiana, right? And that's where I heard music for the first time, people singing and playing the piano and the organ. So then I get to middle school and I start playing saxophone and I started, wait, wait a minute, I got to learn how to read a graph, that's essentially what we're, what we're doing is just a bunch of parabolas plotted sure. on the X, Y axis and we call that music. Right. <laughs> so, um, then I start to get this education, right. 
and it's basically Western music. This is how you read treble clef. This is how you read bass clef. And anything that is not of the European, you know, Viennese school is not real music. Right. Oh, that's it. That's interesting. Like interesting. The, what you're saying, like what is art is going to be dictated by what you saw as art growing up. Like it's like whatever was in your house, whatever your family thought was art, whatever they thought was music, whatever they thought was movies, like like that's your first memory of it. Right. Dictated by your experience. And that's the thing. So right? now you have to force yourself out of your experiences to like. Because I. Because as I'm listening to these this Bach grooviness it's like wow you write all these lines you know that interact with one another not really paying attention to the process that he was using but just the fact that these were these individual lines moving in all these cool little ways that created music but somehow i was supposed to believe that this music from africa and morocco and you know japan and bali was somehow inferior Hmm. right yeah and so for me, it didn't make sense because I'm I'm sitting here like, okay, wait a minute. So if I want to write one of these crazy like tribal rhythms in my very Western orchestral, <laughs> you know, composition, right? How do I make polyrhythms work? And this is me, you know, at thirteen, fourteen, like trying to figure this out, right? And luckily, mm-hmm. I had some groovy band directors and um, and musicians along the way that gave me some really great advice and pointed me in the direction of where I could possibly find answers, but they were all still deeply rooted in this Western tradition, right? That and somehow, you know, so I'm thinking like, as I, you know, I'm developing my skills as a composer, as a musician, that this is what validates my experience, you Which know? Which again is and then, another constraint. Exactly. Western, yeah. you know, it's, it's right. another box in a way. Well, I think yeah. I told you, it's, Kenny, like when I started, started like teaching i was like how can i because i remember too film history it's like the top 10 afi whatever was on there it's like you know it's citizen kane it's like and these are these are great movies like like um you know uh yeah but it's it was just like okay what if if we're really just trying to teach storytelling which is what it is let's just be honest um and it was like okay well what if i like you know like if you show this theme or this technique done through all these different artists from around the world and it's like, so they can see all these different things. And that's kind of how I've tried to teach it. And it's just like, okay, this is how this artist is doing it. But this artist was inspired by this artist. That was inspired by this artist, by this right. artist. And it's like, it's, it's like, domino if you keep going backwards, it's like, you know, and then also just letting students know, like, I try to go, I was like, this is what we know as of now. Right. It's like, I hope you guys go out and find some more stuff. Cause this is like, just, I mean, this is the tip of the iceberg. We're just like out of this kind of like Western culture of what is this art. Um, so I think that's interesting that you, you're bringing that up too. It's like, thankfully you had some people in your life, Brandon, that said, Hey, look over here and see what, see what you can find. Well, but see, that wasn't until much later after they realized it was like, Oh, well, we can't put this one in a box. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This guy's like, going to need some extra stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, let's just, let's just, let's just help him be the rebel that he is. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And that, that Give him some honestly, structure. <laughs> Seriously, it really <laughs> honestly didn't happen until I got to grad school. And the way that that happened in grad school is I got to hang out with this really groovy um, composer. His name's Lloyd Rogers. That was my teacher the second year that I was at Cal State Fullerton. And 
Now, mind you, when I was there, it was a very tumultuous relationship because he would, everything that I composed, he would rip it apart and he didn't have nothing nice to say about it. <laughs> mm. And we, you know, we'd be sitting there with this cigarette and we'd be drinking coffee outside and he'd just be like, Duh, why would you, What? what is this? <laughs> what is this? Yeah, and I'm like, well, as my piece is like, yeah, this is no the counterpoint's weak. I don't know what this, what you were doing here, and it's just like this doesn't make any sense. Explain this piece to me. And so I would start by talking about my feelings. Mm. Oh, and, and nobody how, can tell you your feelings are wrong. Correct. Yeah, but he did. He was like, you know what he told me? <laughs> Verbatim. No one fucking cares about your feelings. Tell oh. me about this piece. And I was like, oh, what? What do you mean they don't care? But he was not lying at all. <laughs> yeah. And what he was what he was asking me to do was to think from a place of um, process and think about it in terms of an elevated sort of art, right? So he, he challenged me. He was like, yeah, I think I'm going to... He's like, what are you going to do for your recital? I was like, I think I'm going to write a sonata. He goes, are you Italian? I was like, no. He goes, why are you writing a sonata? We have so many of those. <laughs> and I was like, so many of those. <laughs> Good point. You know, yeah. he's like, why are you writing music for an orchestra? It's a museum. You want your stuff in a museum? I'm like... Good point. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, so, you know? like, thinking about, like, what's the end? Where are people going to listen to this? Where are they going to see it? Where are they? And, Have a and, plan for your yeah, yeah, like realness, if, yeah, right? It's it's great if you want it to, to be projected on the side of that billboard or whatever, but it's, like, if your goal is but to why? look on a... I look on a phone. I don't think you need a twelve thousand dollar camera for phone images. You know, that just part. like <laughs> there you go. That's real. And it's he, like he's back like, up. You know, and what's what's the? There's a. I don't know if you've ever read the book. Um, it's called Amusing Ourselves to Death, and it's about like the rise of like twenty four hour news cycles. But there's a whole chapter in that it's called The Medium is the Metaphor, which is just mm. like how you're portray like when, how people are seeing this. That's the story. So he's talking yes. about like news specifically, but I think you can apply it to a lot of different things. It's like it's like if you're holding your phone, the metaphor is that you know you're able like this has control of your time. So now what are you going to do with it? Like what's the art you're going to create if you have a captive audience? That's different. You know, like what yes. are you going to do if it's here? If I'm just doing it alone in my room and then, you know, just handing it out for free on the sidewalk, then yeah, do whatever you want. Try something different. Like that's now the metaphor. What is the metaphor? Like how, what are you trying to communicate to somebody else through the way that you're doing it? Right. Um, yes, absolutely. And you know, two things I feel like, you know, at this point after I've had a number of years to reflect on it, because like I'm telling you, he was rough with everybody, but he was very rough with me, <laughs> but I appreciate it because it was one of those things where it's like, if he had, if he had sugarcoated it or been really nice about it, I wouldn't have been as motivated to go on the journey because I'm always like, you know, I'll do it. And but if wait, you just said what to me? Okay, I accept the challenge. And not only do I accept the challenge, watch me knock this out of the ballpark. You feel the experience oh, yeah. shapes. And so, you. well, he probably yeah, just so, knew. Yeah. yeah, he knew how to talk to you. Then he's like, oh, he, he's not going to take this hard. He's going well, he, to go with it. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. I would get, I would go right back at him. I was like, okay, fine. Then tell me how to fix it. Right. Cause I can't yeah. tell you how to fix it. It's your piece. I'm not telling you. I was like, no, you're going to give me some that information on what I need to do. Right. Yeah. You know? And so, uh, he had, he had me, he introduced me to Lou Harrison's work. who is an American composer. That a lot of, a lot of people know about, but as you know, Jerry, I'm really into creating random instruments or using random things as sounds. Right. Yeah. 
one of the first things that I read and it was a reminder because my brother and I used to do this. He would make a drum set out of boxes and we'd get them from behind the store and, and I'd take my little keyboard and we'd have jam sessions in, at our place, right? That's awesome. When we were growing up. And so it's like, decide what you yourself can afford and create within those parameters, right? Yeah. So if you can mm-hmm. create with a shitty camera, guess what's going to happen? Exactly. With a good one. You're going to be real good at it. Yeah, exactly. So that goes back to what I was saying before about the piece of paper and going back to the fundamentals. If you know what the basic elements are, the super like it's like the periodic table, right? What's the first one? Is it hydrogen? Yes. Okay, great. So hydrogen is the first one. I'm glad you knew because I was like, oh, then we have helium, (laughs) right? Then we have helium. You know how I know this? Because how nerdy I am. Okay. And this is why this is why the Mad Composer Lab is not just like a fluke, right? Because I was gonna be either a scientist or a composer and I couldn't decide. I love it. And I was like, maybe I want to be an astrophysicist. My parents were like, you better make some money. So I went to school initially <laughs> to in atmospheric science because they were like, You're or not majoring in music. Maybe you're both. And that's exactly it. So when I um I finally after leaving Chris's, right, and deciding that I wanted to do something different, and after leaving Hollywood full-time, I was like, I have to figure out a way that is my path, not, because I, 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 while I, I aspired to have a career like John Williams, I didn't aspire to be John Williams, right? Same thing with all mm-hmm. my composer idols. It's like, I want to do these things, but I don't want to be them because they already exist. They already have that space. Oh, I think it's so a beautiful I... way to put it, my friend. Yeah, man. Right. Like, just yeah, because I think so many people. I mean, like you're you're dealing. I think you have like some older. Like you're not dealing with like middle school and high school anymore, right? Not anymore. But well, I I, I do actually uh, in my private lessons, but okay. I'm not in a classroom. Every yeah, you're day. not in a classroom anymore. So like I'm in <laughs> the classroom with high schoolers, and like we were talking before, it was just like you know defining that success, like. The John Williams, the, you know, like on the, the composing Hanses. side, the, yeah. the, the Hans Zimmers, and then you go to director Steven Spielberg. Those those careers are like one in a million, like that it happens. Right. And, and you are going to give up a part of you to get to that kind of success. There is a, there a, is a path and a trajectory that will have to be, you're going to change as a person as you go. That's right. Not a bad thing. Um, so all. there's, but there are different paths. And that's like what we've been talking about on this is just like, there's, there's, use that as inspiration um but like i think that was just a beautiful poetic way of saying it's like these are the people it's like the stanley kubricks the akira kurosawa's the you know uh the tarkovsky's like these are the people inspiring my movies i'm never gonna be them like they are already them (laughs) that's real you know but it's like but these are the kind of stories that i like and the way that the storytelling methods that are getting applied and these kind of like human relationships and so it's like you're taking all these things in but also that goes back to that pen and paper it goes back to just being present and watching other art and if all you're doing is watching tutorials on how a camera works you're a million miles away from from where you need to be right now like you're so far ahead that you just need to grab whatever we literally just wrote an ebook to for like for our website for the cellular collective like as like a free thing if you sign up and we were talking about like you know like what camera do you buy and literally the first thing we said he said whatever camera you have is the best one it's like it does yep. not matter. It, whatever it is, that's the best one. You've never, you're never going to get a better camera <laughs> if that's I the one you love, have right now. Absolutely and so, love that. <laughs> so uh, one of the things that, like, I mean, like what, what you're saying, you're getting weird sometimes with all this stuff, making, making you know, musician music out of boxes and, yeah. and whatever We talked it is. about um, traditional art. 
Yeah. So what is this what is this kind of anti-art movement that you're working with other people like because you do it out in like joshua tree like i've seen some stuff it's like you know you're playing music just in the open air desert off of rocks and stuff it's like so what is this anti-art uh the anti-art movement you know it really is we've already had a number of them but the one that's most people know about is the dada Right with uh, oh, Marcel Duchamp. Kenny brought it up right yeah. before we got on. Dada, yeah. A little bit of research. <laughs> yeah. And so it was this whole notion of rejecting this idea of what we tend to recognize as art. And so I was talking about it a little earlier, right? When, you know, especially in the Western world, you know, we tend to think of our Beethovens and our Mozarts and our Haydn's and Bach's as the standard, mm-hmm. right? which I find fascinating because they were rejecting what was coming before, <laughs> which was the oh, Baroque. Nobody was listening to that yeah. stuff probably in that era. You know? Right? Yeah, no. Yeah, exactly. And so the other thing is that, you know, it's this idea, you know, art, right, is funded by the wealthy. At least musically speaking, I don't know how it really worked with a lot of the other arts. I should do a little bit more research, but everything was funded by the aristocracy, right? Haydn was a subject of the court. So was Mozart, you know, and anybody who came before doing stuff as a Gregorian chant, it was all church related. So it wasn't until we got to Beethoven that we have this idea that one could make some sort of living or, you know, a composer can be in the occupation, right? So he started getting annuities and such. But who had the money to fund these things? That's who I also feel like we're setting the parameters for which guided what art is, which then made it inaccessible to a number of people. Mm, Right. Yep. And so then when you start to, when you start to then say, well, this is this and this is that, and you start to give it a tier and a judgment of this is better that we all know it's subjective. We all know that like what you find to be art, I probably won't. Right. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't necessarily mean that what you don't think is art doesn't get funded or it's not valid. I love this because we're we're both right. We're both wrong. We're basically blowing away what we just talked about of, all right, we're going to, you know, even consciously or subconsciously create these boxes. But now we're talking about saying F it to the boxes. Well, because for moving. Yeah, because. Absolutely, because the whole point of creating those boxes in the first place is to obliterate it. Right. Well, I mean, I right? think, I mean, I'm sure you do the same thing, Brandon. Like, I mean, and, and Kenny, I mean, when you're in school, it's like we talk about the rules. Like, you need to know what the rules of whatever this art form are. But I always put it in quotes and I go, eventually you're going to break them. But you need to know what makes the art form work. Right. Like, you need to know that, like, philosophy of, like, why it's actually effective and then do whatever you want. Like, and then you can learn to start, break the rule and why that's Yeah, then start breaking too. it. But, yeah, but if you don't know what you're breaking – you know, then you're just like, that's, that's tough. Like, cause what's the why now? Well, I, I find it, I find it to be tough in that if you want to progress, if you don't have a, enough of a handle on the fundamentals, you, you, it, it's, it's difficult. It's like, you know, throwing you into the deep end. Well, if you don't have that natural inclination, oops, you're going to sink. <laughs> yeah. You know, but also the main thing I try to tell people, because one of the things that I run to run into a lot here in Portland is that 
oh, I don't want to be trained. That's going to ruin my, you know, my hmm. aesthetic and what I'm doing. And I'm like, and, and I have basically not been like directly attacked, but it's this indirect passive thing of like, oh, well, yeah, you have a degree. So like, you know, you wouldn't necessarily, I'm like, you don't know me like that. <laughs> right. Because again, when I started, there was no guide of like, this is how you go in about doing this. It was literally me going to the library and say, I'm curious enough about this. Let me find a book that might answer my question or ask a teacher a question that might, you know, help me find an answer that I need. But it's like reinventing the wheel. I would tell people all the time, it's like, okay, great. You don't have to know anything about extracting rubber, pouring molds. You don't know, know anything about is, though. You don't even, but that's <laughs> that part. That you need part. to at least know and what the is wheel it. is. Like, what's the exactly. concept? <laughs> so, you know, yeah. you know when I'm, so when I'm explaining, exactly, I'm explaining yeah. these things. It's like, oh, I don't want, you know, I need to know Why all of that. I'm like, I'm like, you know what? That's real. You don't need to know all that. But guess what? If you go to the mechanic and, I'll, and say, I need this thing fixed on my car, they're going to be like, what thing? And if you can't tell them it's the wheel, guess what? You're going to be paying more for your car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they're gonna fix non-wheel related be. things. Exactly. Well, now we're getting into physics. Those are if you make a square wheel, it's not gonna work. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. There's a that's reason why it's the wheel a is round. Circle. Yeah. There's a reason yeah. it's a perfect circle. There's an efficiency aspect to that, but yeah. And so, so for the, what... an, the oh, anti-art situation, right? Okay. So this is this is under the assumption that we have an idea that we know what art is. For me, it's really about the same reason it was when it got started in the first place, was about challenging our concept and ideas of what art actually is. And that is from what it says in the history books on down to whatever book on aesthetics, you know, because a lot of these books, they don't cover all the art we find around the world. True. Right? And who is to decide who is an artist and who isn't? And so for me, it's about disrupting this idea that we even have an inkling as to what it is other than self-expression. And that's authentic self-expression True. to each person who tries it. I, we know the, the, of the artists we know, we only know about 1% of their works. The rest of it could be complete trash as far as we know. And a lot of it also, we only know because it was recorded in history. How many of us have yeah. actually taken trips to, you know, the bush and actually listened to the pygmy um, indigenous people in Africa? That was Not never very recorded. Many. Yeah. Okay. So, the uh, you know, how many people, I, I can't tell you how many times, I did a piece for radio and my strumstick. And... The radio was there as a bed. It was like almost like a music concrete sort of thing, right? And as and I would move through the channels on an AM station. And the whole point was to try to get those frequencies in between people talking, right? So you got to and get right yeah. on the edge, right? So it just sounds like something just possessed the radio. And then the rest of it, I had this drumstick that I was just bowing for other ambiences. But what's interesting about where I was bowing was that it was all in an effort to disrupt the harmony that was coming from the radio. So we're talking about rhythmic and timbral dissonance. A friend of mine, we're in Alaska. She goes, yo, you know, I showed my mom that piece. And she was like, what 
is this? This is not music. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I was like, is or it is not? It? <laughs> is it not? I was playing music. And, and, you know, my friend was like, well, I thought it was amazing. And, um, but I get it. I wasn't offended by it. People have their reference. I, so many times I've heard my parents be like, oh, now that's that real music right there. And they're bopping to something from the you know, late 60s, early 70s. Yeah. You know? So I get it. Again, to each his own. Everybody's going to perceive things and, you know, and, and recognize it. For me, it's, it goes back to the fundamentals. It's all about the spirit. The spirit element is always present. Okay? Mm-hmm. And then musically, there's four other basic elements. There's the sound or the absence of that sound. So they have the opposite, right? Then we have uh, timbre, the color of that sound. That tells us what that sound is. Sound of Jerry's voice, sound of Kitty's voice, my voice, the cat, you know. Then we have rhythm. This gives us the illusion that the sound is moving through time, mm. right? This is the only way we can understand music and encapsulate is to stream it real time. There's no frame, really. And then we have the form. Did I say the form? Yeah, so form... Uh, rhythm, timbre, the spirit, sound. That, that's it. And so every time I experience something that somebody says, oh, this is a music or this is a piece that I created, that's all I'm looking for, those five elements. It could be horses jumping up and down, doing that little thing, you know, on a bunch well, the, of... The dance, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, the little dancing horses yeah. Yeah. on the street, you know, Listening to those for me, that is music because all of a sudden, my body and knowing how well attuned that we all are, we're all in motion. So, to pretend like you, your body's not going to move when you see things moving is just ridiculous. So, then you start to sway, and as you sway, if you take note of how many times you sway versus how many of these happen, you've automatically created this imaginary pulse by which then these sounds start to move through time, right? So now your ear and your brain, if you listen to it that way, will then start to recognize it in this construct of we think is music, right? These are the things that I'm, I'm hoping to challenge people to. Is when I say, talk about anti-art, it's like, okay, yeah, so we have a picture of the, the toilet, you know? And it's like, that is art. Well, who's to say that is and who's to say it isn't? I say it is. And if you're going to give me a million dollars for it, Thank you. I appreciate it. But (laughs) let's talk about that. Let's talk about that business, right? Yeah. You're going to give me a million dollars for it? Okay, great. What makes it worth a million dollars and not, you know, it's because the value you put on it. Yeah, it's perceived value at that point. Yeah, it's like worth whatever you'll pay for it. Exactly. And so this whole idea that, you know, the other thing too is like with the anti-art, it's not one of these things where you're trying to, to necessarily profit from it. It's not funded by investors who buy your expression of yourself and say, well, I'm going to keep this in case I need it later. And I'm going to put it in and hoard it somewhere in some sort of storage space where it never sees the light of day. Right. I mean, that could also be cool because this is how we found out about Bach. Bach. We didn't know anything about Bach after Bach died. Bach was a church organist, he had 13,000 kids. And he had to teach a whole bunch of lessons, write masses every week, you know, <laughs> walk 200 miles to see Buxta Huda, was the, <laughs> one of the greatest, like, improvisers that ever lived, you know. But 
when Bach died, his all his stuff got shoved in a shelf. And it wasn't until almost 75, almost 80 years after he died that somebody found the Brandon Burke concertos and was like, oh my goodness, this is genius. Yeah. So now we talk about Bach. Right. Well, that's similar to like, yeah, the Vivian Meyer with the photography yeah. that never got up and everything. Um, yeah. So, well, I'm going to challenge. Kenny, do you have any more questions? If not, I have one last question about this anti art. Yeah. I, I have a couple, but the first yeah, one yeah. Uh, in terms of the Vivian Meyer thing, which is interesting relating her to Bach. So if you watch the doc on her, basically, in a nutshell, this kid went to a garage sale, bought a box of negatives in like undeveloped rolls of film and found this woman's life work. And she's an incredible street photographer. But what's interesting interesting is later on in the doc this doesn't ruin anything it's still fascinating everyone should check it out yeah word. I'll you find it. out that the photography hall of fame didn't want to put her in it because she wasn't alive and there was this controversy between this kid who basically well he's probably an adult but this younger man who basically found this woman's art and then started sharing it out in the world and the question, from my knowledge, I might have to fact check myself here, was they didn't put her in the Photography Hall of Fame because she didn't have the choice. And because it wasn't his work, it was hers, which to it me was like is... a postmortem kind of thing. in a lot of the lot of the galleries, even though they have done it with people. But she was also in like the 60s. So they were doing like older photographers worth like, you know, late 1800s, stuff like that. It was like a. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a, it's a really good documentary. I actually, I show it to my students in the intro to photography class about like, what is the responsibility of an artist? Like if you found somebody's work or should you give it away? Is that your right to do that? Um, and they get to have like a really interesting conversation, you know, about like whose right is it to share people's work if they didn't share it while they were alive. That's interesting. Another Uh, question I have in terms of anti-art and this is, Maybe it's more of a challenge, but I, it, I want to get your opinion on this. So yep. I agree with you. I don't think to make art, it has to make money by any means. Now, if you were making anti-art, which mm-hmm. the whole goal from what I've read and from what you're telling me is to push the norm and go outside yep. of the boundaries of what art is defined as in history books and society and cultures, whatever. If you create said anti-art, and then, like you said, mm-hmm. later, you get paid a million dollars for it. You might have a gallery. That's great. Cool. Is it still anti-art or now is it art? Does it transform or does it stay the same? What do you think? Uh, first of all, if I've created it as an anti-art situation, it's going to be public domain. Mm. Ooh. All right, Brandon. Okay. <laughs> so That's interesting. Because yeah. and, 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 and it's like basically for educational purposes at that point. I'm following suit with the Charles Ives real. If you know anything about Charles Ives, Charles Ives was this composer by all accounts was one of the worst composers in the land. (laughs) Charles Ives made his money as an insurance salesman and interestingly funded other composers so that they could create their art and the art, the publishers, this is why they got mad with him because he would make sure that his music was public domain because he wanted other composers to use these devices that he was coming up with because he could afford to, they couldn't. Because they were trying to fulfill commissions. Oh, that's you know, so it's like, well, if you want to take a chance and write this, and you know, here's the money to do it. You know, well, if we go cool. back to Lou Harrison, Lou Harrison actually reorchestrated and did one of, and conducted one of Charles Ives' pieces because it was so. Well, I shouldn't, I shouldn't spread rumors, but <laughs> I do know that on for a fact that Harrison did, did help him out a lot with a lot of his stuff. And the reason I say that is because we have so much stuff in the land, right, that people are creating on social media. 
Nobody bothers to read that that terms of service, but they actually own that. They you do, don't. yes. You feel yeah. me? And so then um, if I say it's public domain, then we have a creative commons situation. Now, as long as you're not trying to go off and profit off of this realness, then and you're operating on the merit of true artistic integrity as a creator saying, okay, well, I see this realness that you created. I'm going to go and use this as that inspiration, as that fuel to not be like you, but create something that will hopefully help me express myself in my authentic way because I feel seen by something that you've done. And publishers aren't insisting that I give them money to access it. So here's the thing, because when Julius Eastman is one of my favorite composers, when he passed away, no one really knew about him. Right. He died homeless and was always never, never had really any money when he Mm. was alive. Um, had a really George Melies that like basically kind of started modern film. Same thing. You feel me? And so in 2014, 2015, uh, Mary Jane Leach had a beautiful tribute where she was archiving his his um, works and talked about Julius Eastman. Now, do you know who has all of Eastman's works? Nothing against the publisher because they're great. They've been doing it. But that's what happens when you pass away and no one has rights to your stuff. Yeah the publishers come in and scoop it up anyway. So now it's under this thing where only a certain few have access to it. Yeah. You can get it. You can rent it if you want, if you have the means to do it. And I just feel like in, in many ways, you know, is it, is it, is it worth waiting the 75 years after you're dead to give it to the public when they're ultimately going to own it anyway? And yeah. the reason I create again, is not because I'm, I'm catering to the public. If they like it, great. If somebody sees it and they resonate, that's fantastic. But in the first place, it's all about that self-expression and just being authentic and true to oneself. You're doing it for right? you. So, yeah. So that's the realness with the anti-art. You know, it's like. So, yeah. Um, so I took one like uh, when you were asking about the uh, what is art, uh, I thought you might be interested. This is what my senior class last semester came up with. Like usually oh, yeah, we just yeah, talk about yeah. like what is photography or what is film. Like I have them define the word and that's how I teach the class is like whatever they define. That's the path I take through film history of like I find films that deal with those themes and motives and stuff like that. And that's how I teach the class. So it's right. always different and also gets them to buy into it a little bit. So they don't feel like I'm just giving you whatever I like. Um, sure. even though I'm still kind of giving you what I like, it's just with that theme in right. mind. Uh, but they were like, well, we don't even, they're like, we can't like, what is art? Like they wanted to go backwards and like, what is an artist? Like, and they're, what they said for art was, um, a human prescribed meaning of expressing emotion. That was their definition of what is art. And I was just like, whoa, like I these were it. like senior photography students, my first semester at, you know, a new school, Uh, And I was just like, so it had nothing to do about like what it was. It was just like, if you're expressing emotion, somehow you're creating art. Uh, Like, but it's humans that prescribe that meaning to it uh, is like that, which I thought was really interesting. Um, but so with this anti-art to end, uh, um, so, cause if you can hear my dog barking in the other room where it's about to get, it's the witching hour. Um, and so, uh, um, he's going to need to go out pretty soon, but, uh, I want to ask you, Brandon, to finish this out. If this is anti-art and what is music? Yeah. Here's the toy. Uh, you know, John Cage, right? I do know John Cage. Yeah. Is four three <laughs> is four thirty three a song? Is it music? Uh, yes, it is. 
Okay. Right? So if we need to back up, some people might not know what this is, but it's but it's literally a piece where he doesn't play an entire note and then just gets up and leaves. <laughs> is there vocals? Like an actual like music note. So, but I'd love to hear like because I think it's music too, but I wonder if we have the same same reasoning behind it. It. So remember why I listed those five elements mm-hmm. a second ago? It has all five, right? Fair. So I when I mentioned sound, I also said, or the absence of sound. Yeah. And right? this one would be the most amount of absence of sound. I've never heard this. Well, is it just silent or is there like, it's just no instruments and it's like him talking? He walks or? out. He sits at like a grand piano in like a, in a huge... There's thousands of people there. Oh, so right? this is it's, live. it's a huge yep. auditorium. Yep. He sits for four minutes and 33 seconds, gets up, walks off stage. He doesn't play the piano. Interesting. Because that's, that's the <laughs> beauty of it. But, because it is, but there's so much sound in it. The, because all the, the, piece is not, the piece is not for piano. No, the piece is the, is the people. That's exactly there right. Yeah. So there's the motivation, the spirit, like let's challenge what people think this is, right? There's the sound or the absence of that sound, right? And For the uncomfortable pulse... nature of the chairs squeaking and the people going, what is this? Like, you know, the okay. hum of people slowly talking. I can, I can, I've we'll never heard link, this. If you've never seen it, we'll put a link below this podcast because I think it's, it's, yes. it's, it's wild. Yeah. So going back to that whole sound ecology situation, yeah. right? That's why I wanted to bring it up because I was like, we're making a full circle to That's, end, Brandon. That is the realness, right? Because... One of the things that I think I mentioned earlier, we, we, I don't actually I did mention it. We've got three categories that we deal with in the sound ecology world, right? We've got the sounds that come from the earth. So these are like geophysical sounds like rocks and wind and water, thunder, that sort of thing. Then we have uh, the sounds that come from animals that are not human. So birdsong, frogs, bats, whales. Then we have the people sounds, all the sounds that we make. It's all part of the realness. And so going back to that whole idea of what is art, what isn't, back in the day, we'd go and listen to the symphony and we got to this thing with Mahler where you sit there and you listen to it, nobody makes a noise, nobody moves until you the end of the piece and everybody claps and you know pretends and does all the things and then they leave. That's the art experience. Boring. <laughs> <laughs> so as much as, as much issue that i do take with cage and some of his philosophies and thoughts with regard to jazz i find it fascinating that he would write a piece 433 because it's all about improvisation what is that audience going to do you don't know yeah you have no clue what they're going to do (laughs) and so that then becomes the work it's not about you coming to say oh well i'm coming to listen to a piece of music because that music can also be silent and any music worth its cred somewhere has enough silence in it for you to do what? Again, if you're observing and you're listening to this piece, there has to be silence in order for it to soak in and for your brain to process it. If not, it's like a run-on sentence. What are you listening to? Nothing. <laughs> Man, you I think it's it, a beautiful, a beautiful way to end it right there. So. I feel uh, bad because yeah. I don't want to make it a run-on episode, but I actually have two more questions. <laughs> I'll try to make them quick one because we had our last podcast was about this and we questioned the nature of this certain medium being art Uh, one do you think AI is an art form or an art medium Uh, there's no wrong answer both okay I love it 
And then lastly, oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, I got excited. I think in order to be able to create something like AI, not only do you have to be like extremely understand analytical things and things about people, but you have to be creative about how you use it because people are so uniquely and fundamentally we might be the same, but each culture is different. So how do you, how is it that everybody is able to, you know, benefit from this AI realness? Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, And then my last question, I know you touched on it, but what are, what is your anti-art and then where can we find it? Oh, you know, my, my anti-art exists more, I think in just disrupting things socially and like, philosophy wise. I love it. So like, for instance, I'm writing an opera right now and it's about some really interesting things, but it's mainly about Lavinia Williams, who's a African-American ballet dancer in the thirties and forties, who was briefly married to Leon Theremin, who built the theremin, that instrument that you wave your hand in front of and you don't touch it, but it just manipulates the, the frequencies. Okay. So in the second movement, she and Noble Washington, who's loosely based on uh, another famous black singer, go to visit the Waldorf, which is notoriously racist. And in the music, because I'm writing an opera, right? There's this air about opera that things have to be just so, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not writing a typical opera. I don't do that. So in this thing, there's a section where the uh, concierge at the Waldorf is asking them, to ride on the freight elevator. And Lavinia Williams, who's, you know, black, she's like, I'm not freight. I'm not riding on a freight elevator. You feel me? So the first time the music comes in, I've notated everything out, right? The second time that opening theme comes in, this is after she's had that little first little, like, you know, don't play me. I specifically wrote slash marks and chord symbols and gave room for the musicians to improvise based off of that bit of information. This is stuff you find in jazz. You don't find that in opera. Right. Right. And so it was a direct thing of me saying, I feel you like opera or whatever, but we're, we're acknowledging, you know, so it's subtle things like that. While I'll just be like, poke and jab. And uh, I'll tell you an interesting story after we get off the air about what happened with that. (laughs) I love it. So during the workshop, it was really cool because there was no questions about it. Right. But later on in subsequent orchestration, um, there was a request to actually notate that section. Hmm. It's fascinating. What do you think I said? To be, de- to be determined. To be determined. <laughs> to be determined. All right. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for coming on. This was awesome. Uh, l- let's not let time go by so long next time. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, and so where can they find your work at, Brandon, if they want to they wanna follow? We'll also put links below. Oh, yeah. Just, you know, the easiest place is to be uh, on my website, madcomposerlab.com. Yeah, I post everything there that I'm getting up to. So all the sound ecology stuff, new scores that I'm working on, new random like experimental music that I'm working on. So it's all there. All right. We'll put a link to the Mag Composer Lab below. And awesome. Thanks, Brandon. Yes, we'll see you next thank time. Thank you. Peace. Later. Peace.